0: Hi, this is Dean Hess, Editor of Respiratory Care. With the June issue of the journal, we begin a monthly feature in which we present a podcast summarizing the published papers. Our editorial assistant, Sarah Forge, will read the abstracts of each paper, after which I will make a few comments regarding the clinical importance of the papers. Our hope is that this will help you become a better reader of the journal. The June issue of Respiratory Care covers papers from the second part of the journal conference on asthma. Since the journal conferences are such an important part of what we publish in Respiratory Care, it is only reasonable that we would kick off this feature with a journal conference issue. Sarah, what can we expect in June?
1: New Drugs for Asthma is presented by Jean Colise of the Washington Hospital Center in Washington, D.C. The goal of asthma therapy is to reduce symptoms to the extent that patients can lead active, unlimited lives and to minimize concern about exacerbations. Unfortunately, despite advances in our understanding of the pathophysiology of asthma and the existence of consensus asthma management guidelines patients with asthma still suffer considerable morbidity and on rare occasions death. Part of the reason for suboptimal asthma control is poor adherence by both providers and patients to the recommended asthma regimens and guidelines. However, even under the ideal circumstances of a motivated patient and a knowledgeable physician, the available asthma drugs are not effective in all patients at all times. The market for asthma drugs has been dynamic Numerous new products have recently been approved for marketing by the Food and Drug Administration. Unfortunately, the products recently approved and those likely to enter the market soon mostly are either reformulations or combinations of established molecules. Developing new drugs to treat asthma, particularly with novel anti-inflammatory properties, should be a priority. Next we have aerosol delivery devices in the treatment of asthma by Dean Hess, who is affiliated with Massachusetts General Hospital and the Harvard Medical School in Boston. Nebulizers convert solutions or suspensions into aerosols with a particle size that can be inhaled into the lower respiratory tract. There are pneumatic jet nebulizers, ultrasonic nebulizers, and mesh nebulizers. Newer nebulizer designs are breath-enhanced, breath-actuated, or have aerosol storage bags to minimize aerosol loss during exhalation. Nebulizers can be used with helium-oxygen mixture and can be used for continuous aerosol delivery. Increased attention has recently been paid to issues related to the use of a face mask with a nebulizer. The pressurized metered dose inhaler is a very commonly used device for aerosol delivery. There are press-and-breathe and and breath-actuated designs. Issues related to metered dose inhalers that have received increasing attention are the conversion to hydrofluoroalkane propellant and the use of dose counters. Many patients have poor technique when using the metered dose inhaler. Valved holding chambers and spacers are used to improve technique with the metered dose inhaler and to decrease aerosol deposition in the upper airway. In recent years, increasing attention has been paid to the issues of electrostatic charge and face masks related to valved holding chambers. Many newer formulations for inhalation have been released in dry powder inhalers, which are either unit dose or multi-dose inhalers. Systematic reviews and meta-analyses have suggested that each of these aerosol delivery devices can work equally well in patients who use them correctly. However, many patients use these devices incorrectly, so proper patient education in their use is critical. The next paper is Life-Threatening Asthma, Pathophysiology and Management by Lugogo Gogo and McIntyre of the Duke Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina. Asthma prevalence and mortality has been increasing over the past two decades, despite advances in medical therapy. In 2003, the National Health Interview Survey reported over 4,000 asthma-related deaths. A small proportion of people with severe asthma use a large proportion of health care resources and bear the burden of asthma-related morbidity and mortality. The management of acute asthma is complex and evolving. Understanding the phenotypes and pathophysiology of acute asthma will lead to increased recognition and characterization of populations at risk for fatal asthma. The early identification and appropriate management of acute asthma is critical in decreasing asthma morbidity and mortality. This article reviews current pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic management of severe acute asthma. Benjamin Medoff from the Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School in Boston presents the next paper, Invasive and Non-Invasive Ventilation in Patients with Asthma. Despite recent advances in our ability to manage asthma, there continues to be a small but important incidence of patients who present with severe asthma exacerbations that require ventilatory support. Mechanical ventilation in these patients is difficult and can be associated with substantial morbidity. Unfortunately, there is little in the way of randomized controlled trials to guide our therapeutic decisions in these patients. The goal is to provide adequate gas exchange while minimizing hyperinflation and ventilator induced lung injury and administering aggressive therapy to reduce airway inflammation and bronchoconstriction. Although there is controversy on exactly what is the optimal method for mechanical ventilation in asthma, most experts agree that a general approach based on controlled hypoventilation is ideal. Next we have Tim Myers of Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital, Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio, who presents Guidelines for Asthma Management, A review and comparison of five current guidelines. The first clinical practice guidelines for the assessment and management of asthma were published over 20 years ago in New Zealand and Australia. During the same period British and Scottish groups were collaborating on a United Kingdom version of asthma guidelines. Shortly after the introduction of the New Zealand and Canadian guidelines, the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute of the United States National Institutes of Health participated in two additional asthma guideline endeavors, which were published in the early 1990s. The National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute formed the National Asthma Education and Prevention Program to develop asthma guidelines for the United States and participated with an international task force to develop guidelines for the treatment of asthma in all countries, which resulted in the formation of the Global Initiative for Asthma in the mid-1990s. The asthma guidelines issued by professional societies and other groups prior to the late 1990s were primarily based on consensus or expert opinion in each guideline committee, though those opinions were based on the available studies. The early guidelines played a vital role in bridging the gap between various treatment options and recent discoveries into daily clinical practice. Asthma guidelines have been published and revised in dozens of countries around the world and have become reputable directives or roadmaps in asthma diagnosis, treatment, and management for patients of all ages. The guidelines have similar formats The dissemination and implementation of early guidelines was inconsistent and they were criticized for not being evidence-based. As the knowledge of asthma pathophysiology continues to expand, along with basic scientific research on asthma diagnosis, treatment and management, and the education of asthma patients, it is essential that the asthma guidelines be frequently updated and based on evidence-based medicine processes. Next, we learn about the role of the respiratory therapist, which is expanding with the growing acceptance and use of the disease management paradigm for managing chronic diseases. Asthma disease management and the respiratory therapist is presented by Tom Callstrom of the AARC Executive Office in Irving, Texas. Respiratory therapists are key members of the asthma disease management team in acute care settings, patients' homes, outpatient clinics, emergency departments, and in the community. Utilizing respiratory therapists as disease managers allows patients to be treated faster and more appropriately, discharged to home sooner, and decreases hospital admissions. Respiratory therapists are leaders in the emerging field of asthma disease management. Our final paper this month comes from Mary Jones of the Wesley Medical Center in Wichita, Kansas, who presents Asthma Self-Management Patient Education. Asthma Self-Management Education involves a collaborative partnership between the education provider and the patient. An asthma action plan facilitates asthma self-management and improves patient outcomes. The 2007 Asthma Guidelines from the National Asthma Education and Prevention Program emphasize that respiratory therapists, nurses, pharmacists, and physicians should teach and reinforce asthma self-management education at every opportunity and in all settings.
0: This is the second part of the 41st Respiratory Care Journal Conference entitled Meeting the Challenges of Asthma. The conference was co-chaired by Dr. Neil McIntyre and Tim Myers, and it was designed to focus on the role of respiratory care professionals in diagnosis and management of asthma. The conference was held within a few days of the release of the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute's Expert Panel Report three. The Expert Panel Report is available free of charge, and I would encourage all respiratory care professionals to download a copy from the website of the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institutes. Other guidelines are also available for management of asthma, and these are covered in this month's issue. Advances over the last three decades have led to an increased understanding of asthma, its mechanisms, and treatment strategies. In this issue, new drugs for asthma and new aerosol delivery devices are covered. Also covered is management of acute life-threatening asthma including mechanical ventilation of patients with asthma. The ultimate goal of effective clinical care of asthma is for patient self-management that reduces the impact of the disease on morbidity and improves the quality of life for a patient with asthma. This, as well as the role of respiratory therapist in asthma management, is covered. Care of patients with asthma is an important aspect of the clinical practice of many readers of respiratory care. The May and June issues are an important review of the contemporary management of asthma. To receive the contents of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.